0: Well, there was a little girl, and she had checked out several library books, and her mom noticed that every time she read one of the books, she started with the last chapter first and then proceeded to the first chapter and would read on. The mom was puzzled and asked why she started in the last chapter first. The daughter responded, if I like the ending, then I know the rest is worth reading. And as we've been in the book of Revelation, we've been through some of the darkest chapters of the Bible. Over the last several weeks, we've been journeying through a period called the seven-year tribulation, and Jesus said that it's a time of, of unparalleled darkness and difficulty on the planet Earth, and that if God would not stop it, that the world would implode. But the good news is, is we're coming now in chapter 19 to a a light that's at the end of that tunnel. We come to an experience that Revelation calls the wedding or the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is an event, this is an activity, that if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you will experience and you will be a part of. It is an event where your life will be celebrated for the service and the sacrifice and the dedication of your commitment to the Lord. It's not only a celebration of yourself, but it is a celebration of the entire body of Christ. And on that day, or in that period of time, rather, there's going to be two things that really matter. And they're really the only things that matter now ultimately. And that is who you are, what is your character, and who it is you're bringing with you along in the journey to follow Jesus Christ. Those are the two things that matter, and those at the very end of time before Christ returns are the things that are going to be given an account. And so what I want us to do this morning is to examine what is this event called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb, how does it relate to you and me, and how do we as followers of Jesus prepare for this? Because I believe it's the way that our moral and spiritual compasses need to be directed right now because it points us to the things that ultimately matter. So if you have your Bibles, Revelation 19. If you didn't bring them this morning, we're going to have the scriptures by way of the screen as we're now approaching this period of time that's in the last few minutes before Christ returns to the earth. Now, let's think about that. You and I will be there. We will be with Christ. And imagine it comes to that time, those last few minutes, before Jesus returns and we are going to be with him. What will occur and what will take place? What will be the celebrations? What will be the conversations? What will be the things that we remember? And it's in 19 verses 1 to 10 that John gives us kind of a preview of what's going to take place. So in verse 1 it says, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting hallelujah. Let me give you the feral paraphrase of that. It's about time. It's about time. All of the suffering, all of the pain, all of the evil, all of the rebellion, all of the brokenness that is in our world for which Jesus died, it's now about time for him to come and bring the ultimate healing and restoration to the world. And then verses two to five, it gives this incredible picture of the celebration, the joy, and the worship, as Jesus is now handed, as we talked about in Revelation four and five, the the deed to the planet Earth by the Father, and he's going to take it, take the earth back with what he's purchased with his blood. And he's standing now as he's arisen from that throne, where he's, and they're seating and praying for us at the right hand of the Father, and he's now about to take action. We see an event that has to take place before Jesus can return. An event that has to occur that is a precondition before he rules and reigns on the planet Earth. And it starts in verse 6. It says then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like the sound, the like the, the loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Now here we have what's called the wedding supper of the Lamb and event. It's a bride, and this bride has made herself ready. Now, who is the bride? Well, from other scriptures in Ephesians 5, dominantly, it's the church. We are the bride of Christ. We portray ourselves as scripturally as married to Jesus. And it says that there's an event that occurs. It's this wedding supper of the Lamb, and the, the bride has to get ready before Jesus can leave. Now, I remember in the days when I was single, if I wanted to go somewhere, it was pretty easy. I just said, Anthony, I want to go here. I'm going to be at this place, whatever. And I just did what I wanted to do. I wasn't accountable. didn't have to answer to anybody. But that changed a little bit when I got married. And when I got married, there was another person who we had to coordinate our schedules with or, or the way that we got ready. Or t- and sometimes our timings always didn't align and there could be frustrations. But I realized that that was just a, a walk in the park because then we had kids. And when you have little kids, that's a whole different experience. Just you and your spouse getting ready is just no big deal at all. When you have to get your little kids ready to go someplace to get the shoes and the clothes on to make sure everything's ready, and then it's wintertime and you've got to put on the coats and the, the mittens and the hats and everything, it's a whole big event, isn't it? In fact, you, especially as moms, know, sure often with that task, that sometimes just getting your kids into the car takes longer than running the errand itself, doesn't it? And that's the picture we have right here. Jesus wants to return. He wants to leave the throne room of God. He wants to return to the earth, but he's waiting on his children. He's waiting on his kids to get ready. And until they get ready, he cannot return. Folks, it's a very humbling thought, isn't it? So what is this marriage, this wedding supper of the Lamb? To fully understand it, we've got to go back several centuries to understand the nature of a Jewish wedding and what occurred and how it gives insight into this passage. Let me give you three things you need to understand by way of your notes about a Jewish wedding and what it relates to in Revelation 19. There's three phases to a Jewish wedding, and the first is the engagement, the engagement. The engagement back in the first century Jewish wedding is very different than what we experience today. When you were engaged, it was as legally as binding as what we think of a marriage today. When you were engaged, you were, so to speak, married, but you did not live with your spouse or have physical intimacy. There was this waiting, this preparation period that the, that the early Jews thought was so important. You remember Mary and Joseph when they got engaged and she became pregnant through the Holy Spirit and Joseph thought that he had been, she, she had been cheating on her and so it says that he went to get a divorce from her. Even though they had not slept together or lived together. But in that period, an engagement, if you were to break it off, would require a formal divorce. And two big things occurred during the engagement. First of all, is the groom would show his faithfulness to the family, and he would give the father of the bride a dowry, a payment for the bride. And that dowry was simply there so that if something happened to the groom, the bride would go back to the care of the father and there would be financial resources that he could take care of her with. The second thing is there would be an engagement ring. And that engagement ring is like today. It would be the promise of something that's coming. Something is better yet to happen. So that's the first thing is the engagement. The second is the ceremony. So when it came to that time for them to go to the next level where they would live together, where they would be husband and wife, the groom would go and he would find the bride and he would take her out of her father's house and there would be a ceremony in public where it was acknowledged, where it was celebrated, where it was publicly seen that they were husband and wife. And then the third phase is the celebration. And the celebration from there was with the whole community, and it could go for days and even weeks. And it was a party, it was a celebration. Do you remember Jesus at the wedding of Cana? They had run out of wine, and Jesus had to turn the water and the wine because there had been so much celebration and partying going on. And it was this wedding supper, this wedding feast that was taking place. So, how does that relate to us? How does that give us insight into Revelation 19? Well, you and I were the bride of Christ. The Bible says that we're married to Jesus. But do you know that we're in the engagement phase? We have been paid, or the Father has been paid the dowry by the Son, that He has purchased our lives with His blood, and that He has given us the Holy Spirit. As a, as a witness to us that there are things better that are coming, that we are the children of God, that we are the bride of Christ, and that there's more taking place. And right now, you and I are in the engagement phase of our marriage to Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting that whenever I teach on prophecy or the book of Revelation, a lot of people swell with interest A lot of people look with anticipation because the Holy Spirit is speaking to the hearts of people and he's saying, listen to this, because there's much more to come. There's more to be anticipated. There's more that's going to happen. And that's why the book of Revelation and prophecy is so relevant because it is drawing us to what's yet to occur. And we're waiting for the ceremony to take place. When Jesus Christ, the groom, will come for the bride. And I believe that's at the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians chapter 4 said that we will meet Christ within the air. And that's when he comes and he takes his bride at the rapture. And then that will lead to the celebration, which is what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ. The wedding supper of the Lamb. Now the question is, is who will be there? Everyone who has been forgiven and knows Jesus Christ has accepted His forgiveness and has the Holy Spirit. Who will be called to account? Everyone who is a child of God who has received Christ as Savior. They will meet Him in this ceremony. And then at the ceremony with the celebration, we will stand before Christ for a celebration of all that we have done, our service and our sacrifice in our lives that have been lived as stewards for the kingdom. Look by way of the screen at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due to him, for things done while in the body, whether good or bad. How many of you look at that scripture and you're like, oh, no, that doesn't sound good. Be judged for the things I've done physically, whether good or bad. Let me tell you about this judgment, this evaluation, this audit, what it will be and what it will not be. When you and I stand before Christ at that ceremony and that celebration, and we are judged for our lives, it will not be for our sin. It will not be for the evils that we've committed. Do you know why? Because Jesus died for those. He paid the price. And there is no condemnation. So it says, but we'll be judged for things done, whether good or bad. What what does it mean by the bad? The word here, bad, is very interesting in the Greek. The word in Greek for bad or for sin or for evil, there's three main words. One is the word kakos. And it just means bad. It's when you commit a bad act, an evil action, or something that is wrong. Another word is porneros. It's where we get the word pornography. And that's where something is twisted, where something is perverted, where something is turned in a wrong and wicked way. But neither of those words are used here in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. The word that's used here is the word pholos. And the word pholos means slight, trivial, and worthless. Pholos, P H A U L O S, pholos. You're welcome. Good interaction this morning. That's a new dynamic. So, the word pholos in the Greek means slight, trivial, and worthless. And what that means, folks, is that when it comes to this judgment, it's not that our lives are horribly immoral. It's sometimes that they're disastrously inconsequential. It's not that they're bent on committing all of these acts of sin and evil. It's that our lives have been so self-absorbed that when we come to that place where we stand before Christ to receive a celebration of all that we should have done with all of the gifts and opportunities that He's given to us, He's going to look at us and say, you know what? You wasted so much of your time and your resources and your opportunities. Verse 8 in Revelation 19, it says, Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 9, Then the angel said to me, Right blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So the dress, the, the, the supper, the, the celebration is for the righteous acts of the of the saints. Now if we could look at the diagram by way of the screen, just by way of review. We are right now in the engagement phase. and That is the church here on earth. We are waiting for the ceremony phase and that is the rapture of the church. And at the rapture, there will be the celebration phase and that is the judgment seat of Christ. Look what Paul says about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 as he writes towards the end of his life, just before he's going to be beheaded under the Roman authorities. He says, Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. It's a judgment that will occur on a particular day, and will happen to all who are looking for and expecting his appearing. Now, as I'm thinking about Revelation 19, I began thinking about marriage. I began thinking about weddings. I began thinking about what it is that the bride wears. And it drew me back to 28 years ago when I proposed to my wife, Brenda. And it was in Fort Wayne, Indiana. It was probably, I think, on a very cold January or February evening, and I wanted to propose for her, and and I was late in getting getting us to where we were wanting to go, and so the first stop that we had where we ate on the night of my proposal, it was Arby's. That's where we ate on the night that I proposed to her, because we had to be at another event after that, and we were running short on time, and and so it was there at Arby's. I hadn't proposed to her yet. I didn't want to do that at Arby's. And then we went to this musical thing that was after that in the, main, in the main auditorium area in Fort Wayne. And that was really nice. And then we went on a horse and carriage ride in downtown. And so I bent the knee and asked Brenda if she would marry me. And she said, I need to pray about that. I need to think about that. And she went through this internal debate, and I think she felt sorry for me, and she said yes. And so we've been working it out ever since then. And, and that was 28 years ago at the proposal, but eventually it worked, and it led to this, if we could see the picture by way of the screen. So a little over, do we have the picture? 27 years ago. There, I know, I know. Aren't I so handsome? And uh, So there's me in my Fantasy Island tuxedo, uh, Ricardo Montalban kind of style back in the, the 80s. And there's Brenda looking beautiful in her dress and her, her groomsman and bridesmaid. Okay, you can take that picture off. Uh, you can do that. And I thought about, you know, when I proposed to Brenda... There was a whole world of emotions and thoughts that were flooding in her mind that I didn't exactly have as a guy that she had as a woman. And there's a lot of things to look forward to. And one of the, the big things is the getting the wedding dress. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it, ladies, when you're getting married? And so you, you get the wedding dress and you go with some, some other ladies and you try them out and you compare them, you look at them, and it's, it's a really joyous occasion in, in the purchasing. I know for me, it was just a chore just to go get my tux and just to get the, you know, the measurements. And I thought, guys, just go get the tux. Just tell them what you want. They'll have it ready. I'm not going with you. I'm not going to do that. But for the ladies, it's a pretty big deal. And then they prepare the day of the wedding. They get dressed. They do all the makeup and their hair. And it's just a real great time of celebration. But I know for me, with the the tux, you know, it wasn't a big deal. I just wanted everybody to get there on time, and I just wanted just to to be there. And when it was done, I, I told one of my, my, my groomsmen, I said, look, just take the tux, take it back, have it by Monday, because somebody is probably going to be wearing it on Saturday. And, but for Brenda, when she had that dress, when the wedding was over, she took the dress and I don't know exactly what she did with it right away, but eventually it was cleaned. It was put in a plastic. It was put in this box and was treated very, very sacredly with maybe the hope that one day her daughter might wear that. And there's a big part of the wedding when the groomsmen and the bridesmaids are standing up and then the bride enters with her father. And what does everybody do? They stand. They stand in honor of the bride. And folks, when it's talking about the wedding supper of the Lamb, it's talking about a time when the body of Christ through its obedience and trust and sacrifice, has prepared itself, has fulfilled the Great Commission, has done everything that God has called it to do, and now the church is ready, and they will stand and they will be honored for their sacrifice and their devotion and their commitment. And on that day, Christ will acknowledge what we have done in service to Him and the advancement... Of the kingdom. And so, what does that mean? Well, folks, it means that maybe for some of you who have given sacrificially year after year to maybe a work in overseas missions, and because of your sacrifice and giving, you've chosen to live more modestly. And at that time and that day, the Lord's going to say, you know what, that money that you gave to that work overseas. Here are the people who came to know me. Here are the people whose lives were changed. And because they were changed, a church was established. And then they had led other people to Christ. And more and more people in that nation, in that area, came to know Jesus. And you will get to know those people. And that will be a point of celebration for your service and your sacrifice. For others of you, maybe it's living out your walk day in and day out consistently before the Lord at the workplace. You work with some men, you work with some women who are kind of hard-hearted, pretty skeptical towards your faith, but day after day you walked in integrity, you walked in humility. When you made a mistake, you owned it and you confessed it, and people saw your witness, and people saw how you live for Jesus And then you went on maybe to another place of work or employment. But then some of your employees, because of your witness, because of what you did, their hearts were softened. And later on, they came to faith in Christ when somebody shared the gospel. But you had prepared the way. And it's on that day it's going to be acknowledged and the Lord will show what it is that you accomplished through your faithfulness. For others of you maybe. It's how you've stood in faith when others didn't have faith. You've walked with people through some pretty dark times in their life and when they didn't believe and when they didn't have trust, you had faith and trust on their behalf. And because you continued to love them and walk with them, they persevered in their faith. And then they paid it forward and they loved others who were going through dark times. And it became kind of a glue to bring the body of Christ together. There's others of you, maybe you have fought some very dark and hard battles. Maybe there's some temptations and some addictions that you've had to fight to overcome that you and the Lord know about but nobody else sees. And what's no big deal to others, the Lord sees and acknowledges and in hero, you will be a heaven because you will be a hero in heaven because of the victories that you have prevailed in in your own life. I've done hundreds of, of funerals. I've been at the bedside of hundreds of people who have crossed over from this life into the next. And as I'm at those times, I'm looking and thinking, when I am at that place, what will I look back? What will I be grateful for? And what will I have accomplished? Here's how the Apostle Peter says that we need to live in light of that. First Peter chapter two verse twelve says, Live such good lives among pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. First John Chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Well, let me bring this in for a landing. How do we prepare for this day? What do we need to do? Let me give you three encouragements. Number one, continue in selfless sacrifice. Continue in in selfless sacrifice. Are there some of you this morning who are discouraged because you've given and you've given and you've given and you've served and you've served and you've served, you've loved and you've loved and you've loved? And hardly anybody has said thanks. I really appreciate that. Are there some of you who are discouraged this morning because you launched out in your faith and you engaged in a ministry you believe that God called you to do? And there's been times that you've experienced such resistance or doubts or negativity from other people and you wonder, is this really worth it? Are there some of you discouraged right now just because you have launched out to do something for the Lord, but there's been so many disappointments? I want to say to you, be encouraged because the thank you and the rewards are yet to fully be given. And it's during those times where we want to give up because we're not getting the pats on the back, we're not getting the applause, we're not getting the appreciation, and we're feeling like there's too many difficulties. Those are the times where we have to ask the question, am I doing what I am doing for the applause of God or for the praise of people? And if we're giving up because not enough people are thanking of us, thanking us, then maybe we need to question our motives for why it is we're serving look by way of the screen 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 paul writes he says therefore judge nothing before the appointed time wait till the lord comes he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts at that time each will receive his praise from god it's very popular to complain about the problems of the church. And in the church we are going to have problems and we are going to struggle because we're real people and we're going to have real relationships. But my question is this. Are the issues that we are struggling with are they the issues that are of eternal importance? Or are they issues that are slight worthless, and trivial. And in the end, they don't really matter. And my prayer for us is that as we struggle, as we go through growing pains, may they be for the issues that are going to matter for eternity. Number two, return to your primary passion. Return to your primary passion. Right now, we're in the engagement phase with our relationship with Christ waiting for the ceremony. And that says to me, folks, that the relationship that we have with Christ needs to be fresh and needs to be cutting edge. We're only really in the beginning of our relationship with the Lord. There's more to come. And so it says in Revelation 2 that we are challenged to return to our first love. And I want to say, are you at that place where you are freshly depending on Jesus Christ? Are you launching out in areas of faith and obedience that require that fresh dependence like you had in the earlier days of your faith and your journey with Christ? It was this past week that I had the privilege of taking three other people from Crossroads to an area where we're going to be doing some ministry and some mission. And as we went to that area, I challenged these people to do what's called prayer walking. And we just went into this area and we just prayed. And we prayed that God would show himself, that God would show us how to love people, that God would show us how to share his grace with people in this community. And as we broke up into two pairs of two and we were praying, we felt the Holy Spirit just leading us to love this community. And one gentleman said, you know what? I've never done that before. But as I was praying for the community, I felt the Holy Spirit wanting me to pray for people, to talk to people, to engage in spiritual conversations with people, but I don't know how. I said, well, let's go out another time. And the next time we'll go out is that the Holy Spirit leads you and prompts you. We're going to follow through with that and start engaging in spiritual conversations. And folks, this is a guy who's been a believer for many, many decades, but now he's in a fresh act of obedience that is requiring renewed faith in the Lord. We need to have a fresh passion. Number three, build timeless trust. Build timeless trust. The most beautiful thing about marriage is that it is a relationship of such intimate and close trust. And Jesus Christ will look at us on that day, and he wants to look at us and say, job well done, good and faithful servant. I want to invite the prayer team to come forward as Well, as the worship team. And this morning, are you trusting Christ? Is there something you're believing God for that's significant in your life? And if the answer to that is yes, that's great. But here's another question. Is there an area where you sense Christ is trusting you? Is there a relationship where Christ is believing on you? Is there a ministry or a difficult area of ministry where Jesus says, I want to trust and I want to believe in you to handle this, to fill the gap, to be faithful, and to serve where others are not called to serve?